standard issue for all women. Hello, welcome to episode 34 of the Standard Issue Podzine. I'm Mickey Noonan and I once panic farted on a friend's hand, which made me laugh, which made me fart on her hand again. Sharon, I'm sorry. I'm Hannah Dunleavy and I've given up smoking. If anybody has a fucking problem with that. Not me. (laughs) I'm Jen Oppard and on Sunday I bought a mop. Angry about that, mate? No. Yeah, I try not to be angry. It's just things are making me angry. That's true. Okay, well I'm going to keep a little uh, comfortable distance. The studio just got smaller, (laughs) didn't it? (laughs) Later on, we chat to Mara Clark, founder of the Abortion Support Network, an organisation that does amazing, life-saving work with women having to travel from Ireland, Northern Ireland and the Isle of Man to get an abortion. There'll be more from Mara in a special podcast we're doing on Repeal the 8th, so keep your ears cocked for that. Mick and I got our sea legs, well, more specifically canal legs, when we visited comedian Karen Bailey on her barge to find out what that's like. And it's National Pet Month, so we chatted to TV vet Dr Judy Poddyfoot about our furry, and sometimes not furry, friends. And I do Disney's Alice in Wonderland. But first, the pay gap, brutality, and the only way is Essex. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Cue Sting. Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph, or as we're not so fucking modestly renaming it, have we got views on the news for you? The major UK story to rumble on this week was the numbers of murders in England's capital, London, which had apparently risen above the level of those in New York. Those murders included that of 17-year-old Tanisha Melbourne Blake in Tottenham last week. By Sunday morning, the number of murders in London had risen to over 50 for the year so far, which is a significant number compared to last year. According to a projection by The Guardian, if it continues at this rate, the figure could rise above 180 this year, which is well up on last year. However, it's fair to say the comparisons bandied around by the media are a bit misleading. According to the same Guardian report, there were 15 and 22 suspected murders in London in February and March, respectively, compared to a suspected 14 and 21 in New York, although there were 10 more in New York in January. The comparisons with New York are being made because of the similar-sized populations living in both cities. But it seems to me it's also being made to evoke the image of this kind of lawless hotbed of crime, which is a total fallacy. Since the rough old days, significant efforts have successfully gone into cleaning up New York, which has seen a huge decrease in rates of violent crime. And not only is it a little bit unhelpful, it's also a bit distracting. Home Secretary Amber Rudd wrote in an article for the Sunday Telegraph that the rise in crime was not linked to the numbers of police having fallen to their lowest in 22 years. The statistics, she said, did not back this theory up. So something else must be the problem, right? I think she's right, yeah. Uh, I don't think it is all about police. No doubt the Tories would like you to think that it's because of all those marauding black youths. Look at the areas the bulk of these crimes are happening in. They're not happening in Mayfair. Look at the ages of the victims. According to a report in the Evening Standard, 56 murder investigations have been launched this year by the Metropolitan Police, and 28 of those 56 victims were aged 26 or under. None of this is a coincidence, but the marauding black youths read immigrants are not the problem here. 
The Tories haven't just cut police numbers, they've cut benefits, increasing poverty. And hey guys, guess what? There's more crime in poorer areas. They've also cut education and local authority budgets, budgets that are made the most use of by the less well-off. They've done fuck all to promote equality or social mobility, which is sorely needed in the areas experiencing the brunt of this wave of crime, if you want to call it that. And here's why. They don't give a fuck. Londoners don't vote Conservative. Young people don't vote Conservative. You are of no value to them. So, two things here. Labour MPs in London, what the fuck are you doing to hold the government to account for this? And secondly, young people, you have until April the 17th to register to vote in the May the 3rd local elections and please make sure you do. Kinship carers have been revealed to be the latest group to be thoroughly shat on by this administration slash society. Around 200,000 children in the UK are currently being raised by grandparents, aunts or uncles, elder siblings or other relatives, preventing them going into care, thereby saving the country billions of pounds, as well as giving those children a secure family home and all the benefits that that situation entails. That sounds good. Yeah, quite. Except a study of 517 such carers by two charities, the Family Rights Group and Grandparents Plus, found that taking on children of relatives who have died, gone to prison or had their children removed from their care due to neglect or addiction problems, often leads to financial penalties. Such carers, the majority of which you probably won't be surprised to hear are women, report being advised to give up secure work in order to gain custody, only then to find themselves sanctioned for not attending job interviews. Others say they were told to move to larger properties by housing officers and then hammered with the spare room tax, and others have fallen foul of the child allowance cap, which despite promises from ministers that it would not happen, means if they take on the care of two relatives and then have their own child, they're not entitled to claim child benefit for that child. That is appalling. Isn't it? They have changed it the other way around, so that if you already have children and then you take on other children, the child benefit cap doesn't work. But it's like they're saying, oh, are those two kids that aren't, you know, are your younger brother and sister not good enough for you? Why would you want more children? Kathy Ashley, Chief Executive of Family Rights Group, said, Kinship carers are doing all that could be asked of them by society and more. But instead of getting the support that they and the children need, many kinship carers are left in poverty, isolated and having to battle just to make ends meet, while often also caring for very traumatised children. Still, it's just women and kids, eh? Fuck them. I can't believe you bothered to talk about it. And to Syria, where dozens have been killed in a suspected chemical attack on Douma, a rebel hell town just outside Damascus. Aid workers and local medics scrabbling to save survivors of the latest atrocity by the Syrian government have described scenes straight out of a horror film, with patients suffocating, foaming at the mouth, suffering from burning corneas and with a bluish skin discoloration, all indicators of a nerve gas attack. One local journalist said, It was like judgment day. The situation, the fear and the destruction are indescribable. It's not the first time Bashar al-Assad's regime has used chemical weapons to kill its own children, not by a long chalk. It seems he believes he can do so with impunity, because the rest of the world is doing what can succinctly be summarised as fuck all. Now, you and me can do very little to stop this barbarism, but that doesn't mean we can't do anything. Petition your local MP to ask what the government is going to do, and dig deep to give whatever you can spare to the Red Cross and to save the children, because someone has to. And it's not often I get two or indeed any press releases about the only way is Essex in one day, but the permatanned Brentwoodians featured highly in last week's news. First, and perhaps slightly bigger news, was the comment by charity Women's Aid that the show is responsible for encouraging toxic masculinity. 
Secondly, as it was recorded by travel company Kiwi.com, that searches for flights to Barcelona had increased by 529% in the wake of an episode filmed on location in the Catalan city. And one would imagine that Barcelona's native population are absolutely (laughs) fucking delighted about that. Taken to the streets with their placards to welcome them? (laughs) I would have thought so, yeah. Uh, writing on the charity's website, its campaigns and public affairs manager Sean Hawkins said that everyday sexism normalised by the programme underpins a culture that allows domestic abuse to still be perpetrated at endemic levels, describing uncomfortable and upsetting scenes in which male characters verbally abuse their girlfriends. Hawkins relays the tale of one of the characters calling his bird a fucking slag because she spoke to another dude. I've watched a clip and I'm not watching the whole thing because I don't need a televisual lobotomy this week. And it was labelled by the show's Twitter account as something you shouldn't watch if you're under 18 or easily offended. (laughs) And if you are easily offended by a dude screaming and sort of squaring up to his sobbing girlfriend, then yes, I'd agree. Don't watch it. Or, you know, line pictures, the world maybe is but certainly should be changing so how about you don't make a show that easily offends people you slags hope line pictures aren't <laughs> easily offended at the time of recording tomorrow is april the 10th and therefore a happy 20th anniversary to the good friday agreement Yay. it took 70 years and the loss of countless lives on both sides of the irish sea but with the signing of you peace was attained To celebrate, Brexit is going to eat way too many bendy bananas to make sure its tummy is nice and squirty, and then it's going to liquid shit on you from a great height. Or at least that's a genuine fear. Although all sides state they're committed to ensuring there is no return to a hard border in Ireland after Brexit, exactly how to make that happen has become a sticking point in negotiations between the UK and the EU. A lack of clarity concerning something important to do with leaving the EU? Who'd have thunk it? Quite. I don't think it's a lack of clarity, is it? I think it's a genuine lack of caring coming from people like Boris Johnson who just don't appear to give a shit what happens in Northern Ireland. How can you not? Because I don't think it ever really affected or impacted on him, did it? Undeniably, you know, and I think we should care anyway, but undeniably impacted on on England because there are quite a lot of bombs. The Northern Ireland office used to be a punishment. It used to be used as a sin bin for politicians to be sent Mm. to because literally everybody knew that job was really awful and it was fucked and it was never going to get fixed. And Mo Molum did extraordinary work. She did. I mean, look how much they worship Thatcher and look what Thatcher's attitude to Ireland was. Obviously, different subject, but this is the thing that really struck me about about the murders in London, you know, the story this week was that they just they just don't I I genuinely don't think they give a fuck. I genuinely don't think they give a shit because that doesn't impact on them. They don't know those communities. Has Theresa May even been to any of well, like, exactly. She's in fucking London. Like there's absolutely no excuse for her to not fucking nip in a car and get up to Tottenham. But also what's happening in London will be nothing with what, what how many people could will be murdered in Belfast well, quite. if this goes badly wrong. Yeah. And despite sounding like despite having the name of an old Irish jockey, I am not Irish, but I was in Manchester the day that the bomb went off in ninety five and it was fucking terrifying. So yeah, whether you're in Ireland, whether you're in Belfast, whether you're in the capital, it, it you know, it will have an effect. I think it's got a wider geopolitical effect than that as well. Yeah. Because the truth is 
Ireland with the help of the people of Northern Ireland, the people of Southern Ireland, the people of the UK, the people of America, everyone who got involved in making sure the peace still happened. That was is an example of two other places that have what seem to be intractable problems of how things can be solved. And for it to collapse now sends a message to whatever situation might be happening in any other disputed territory across the, the world that, that it doesn't work, that politics doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't help that Theresa May's in bed with the DUP, but they have it. They were the one Irish political group that didn't sign to agree to the Good Friday Agreement. So the results of the gender pay gap are in, do you want to know? Oh, I'm yeah. sure it's good. Well, Go yeah, <laughs> fuck me sideways. Turns out... There's a gender pay gap. No. I was not expecting that. I know. No. I know. What else did we learn? Well, as I predicted back when we had Aisha Hazarika here, everybody was indeed leaving it until the last minute to declare, like you do with your tax bill. Half of all firms reported in the last week leading up to the deadline of April the 4th, and actually 1,500 firms didn't report until the very last day. Radio 4's Sarah Montague wrote a piece in The Times this week in which she described being, and I quote, incandescent with rage when she found out she was being paid less than all of her Today programme co-hosts, including John Humphreys, who earned four times as much and still hasn't even got the sense not to be caught on a hot mic joking about the gender pay gap. A BBC spokeswoman said it'd get to paying women more money when it got to it and that it wasn't as bad as other people. Sorry, what? I would get there. Well, that's actually not what it said. What it said was it was committed to closing its gender pay gap by 2020 and compared favourably on the pay gap than virtually every broadcaster and newspaper group, which they don't seem to realise sounds exactly the fucking same. We'll get there. Don't worry, we're on the way. Just fucking sort it out. Just do it now. Why why not just do it now? Just give people a pay rise. In more news that'll surprise exactly no women, a new study from the Arizona State University School of Life Sciences finds that men in STEM subject areas overestimate their own intelligence and credentials. No. Surprised yet? <laughs> it also found they underestimate the abilities of their female colleagues. What? Even when hard evidence says otherwise. Well, knock me down with a feather. It does, of course, have a detrimental effect on women in STEM that starts early, as girls in science and maths classes see themselves as less able, as to their classmates, as to their teachers, and, eventually, if they even get that far, their employers. So, yeah, get your little girls to listen to our chat with the excellent Dr. Suze Kundu about being a woman in STEM. Listen yourself to our chat with imposter phenomenon expert Dr. Terry Simpkin and kiss those doubts goodbye. We got this, women. We got this. Oh, well, um, that was a gruelling bush telegram. Yeah. <laughs> Would anyone like some good news? Can I have a lie down? Please. <laughs> okay, well, technically this section is supposed to be about good news for women. And in bad news, there was none. <laughs> but let's yeah. not dwell on that and instead rejoice in good news for dogs. And <laughs> I actually just became Alan Partridge. Back, Back of the net. <laughs> so... Props this week to Cassie Carney and her husband Tim, who the Huffington Post reported on having started a charity to help disabled dogs. I'm sorry, I can't do this. What you can't see is that we've got um, a picture projected of a water skiing squirrel to help Jen with this section. Broken Biscuits was founded after they were saddened to see a lot of um, disabled dogs 
living as strays. I don't know if that's the right terminology. Stray disabled dogs while travelling in Europe. So the couple who are a three-legged cat, a deaf spaniel and a triple amputee mixed breed dog founded Broken Biscuits to provide equipment such as wheelchairs for disabled rescue dogs, which they run in their spare time. I used to have a three-legged cat. Did you? Yeah, she lived till she was 20. What was her name? Porky. I know, that's possibly a pig's name. We were very young when we chose it. Is it named after the soft porn film? No. Beloved by frat boys? I don't know why. she. I think she was called it because she was fat when Aww. she was a kitten. Aww. And um, uh, she had an accident when she was about 18 months old and she lost her front leg and she just went around like a little tripod for like, or tricycle for like the next 18 years. Did she learn to balance all right or did you have to give her some assistance? Oh no, she was all right. When she got, when, when she got really old, uh, like her front leg was like pretty badly arthritic so she used to sit up on her back legs and like shuffle along on her bum with her arm out like a Dalek. My mate Sylve's got a three-legged cat. He's called Moggs. He used to have four legs but was attacked by the neighbour's dog. Um, that is the name of the dog. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he knew. But what happens, and I will check this with Dr Judy Puddyfoot yes. later, is when an animal has a leg amputated... The, they kind of move it into the, the middle. The leg yeah. that's left sort of moves into the middle. I think they have to do it. I don't think yeah, it's so they like position it Yeah, yeah but then because they do it all the time, yeah. it sort of sets that way. Oh, but, but that then must I mean that, that they have they horrible arthritis, problems yeah. with like their shoulder. Do cats have shoulders? Yeah. Yeah. Is that... Yeah. Because yeah. I call them arms, the front legs, and that's probably they what they're called. They have four legs, but I call them arms as well. Oh, good. Excellent. More news next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. It's that time of the week where we look at the ravages of time and wonder how they only ever manage to affect women. And so to The Telegraph, where journalist Shane Watson is offering her insight into the middle-aged traps to avoid. It's a gender-neutral headline because surely all of us, woman, man, armadillo, should be so lucky as to reach and pass through middle age. And who doesn't love rules to live by? Women, men, armadillos. Give us those commandments quick smart. Yes, Shane. Quick question though, Shane. What's this about slivers of cleavage and ambassadressy hair? That what? seems a bit... Yeah, that's what she's written. Is that hair to see the ambassador with? Um, I think it's... Spoilerness. Yeah, is it forever Rocher? Yeah, it's basically, it's got a hazelnut on and some Nutella okay. in it. Anyway, those descriptions seem a bit, well, women-oriented. Oh, and hold up, those negative comparisons to Wendy Craig and Anne Widdicombe with a thumbs up for doing what Rachel Weisz does. Wendy, Anne, Rachel, they're, they're all women, aren't they? Hang on, Shane, are you saying that only women need to follow rules about middle-aging or, in fact, about what you call age-proofing your life? Yep, yep, she is, because apparently the adjective all women should aspire to is ageless. Heaven forfend a bird look her age. Well, fuck that. Here's to every sign of ageing, telling the tale of a life lived, mistakes made and good times had. My favourite bit about that article was where she basically says, look, just suck up that discomfort, you'll look great. Yeah. Just, just crack on. Can you just get your priorities straight, please? Yeah. <laughs> Who cares about comfort? Yeah. It's all about what other people think of you. Absolutely. Yeah. Hello, we're joined in the studio by Mara Clark, the founder of the Abortion Support Network. Thank you so much for coming in, Mara. My absolute pleasure. Big date in the Irish diary. 
I've just booked our tickets, actually. I feel like I should be there on the day, even though we're not a campaigning organization. Win or lose, there's just been so much work put into this referendum by so many people. We are, of course, talking about repeal the 8th, and the referendum is on May the 25th. That is correct. Can you tell us a little bit about Abortion Support Network and why you set it up? Well, I always say that the wrong question is why I set it up, and the right question is why did we have to? Abortion Support Network is an abortion fund, so we provide information on the least expensive way to travel over and obtain an abortion. We give money towards the 400 to 2,000 pound it costs to travel and access an abortion. And when needed, we provide accommodation in volunteer homes. And we do this for people resident in the Republic of Ireland, Northern Ireland, and the Isle of Man, and also the Channel Islands for people who are over 12 weeks because the Channel Islands only has provision up to 12 weeks. So again, the question isn't why did we set this up, but why in 2009 when we started were women and pregnant people forced to leave their jurisdiction to access health care. You know, study after study after study shows that making abortion against the law doesn't stop it or even reduce it. It just pushes it underground. Or um, what we like to say is making abortion against the law means that when faced with an unplanned or unwanted or non-viable pregnancy, those with money have options and those without money either have babies they don't want or they take dangerous steps to self-terminate, or they risk criminal prosecution for taking pills that are on the World Health Organization's safe medicines list, essential medicines list, but will get you a jail sentence if you're, if you're caught with them in Ireland or Northern Ireland. I was in Belfast. Two years ago now, and there was a case there in which somebody had ordered them on the internet, the abortion pills, and put the packet in the bin and her flatmate had called the authorities and it, she was arrested. It wasn't the packet she put in the bin. Oh, uh, okay. So that was the first of several cases that have now been um, up before prosecution. The one that's currently still going through now is a mother of a teenage girl and the mother ordered the pills for her daughter, who was a minor at that time, under the age of consent. And the mother has been charged with procuring poisonous substance or something along those lines. So basically, by prosecuting women for taking these pills, which, again, on the World Health Organization's essential medicines list, even outside of clinical setting, what they're doing is saying, hey, if you don't have the money to get to England or if you can't go to England because you don't have somebody to watch your five kids or your ailing grandmother or you don't have a, a passport or whatever, whatever the reason it is that you can't leave your country for 18 hours to get medical care, don't take these pills that are safe. Instead, why don't you go on the Internet and, uh, and see what you can do instead or have a baby that you don't want? And the things people have told us that they have tried to do before finding our number – would actually turn your hair gray. How do you people find you? Because obviously a lot of the activities that you do are currently illegal in Ireland and in the Isle of Man and Northern Ireland. It's not illegal to travel. As of 1995 in the Republic of Ireland, it's not illegal to travel. Well, that's why we're the Abortion Support Network and not the Sisterhood of Solidarity or something like that. While we are a Sisterhood of Solidarity, you know, you're not Googling Sisterhood of Solidarity. You're, you know, so Google is our friend. We do a, a bit of media when we can. We're the only organization doing this kind of work. So 
very often we're in the we're in the press. We have excellent relationships with the clinics over here. So if somebody contacts one of the clinics here and they don't have the funding to come over, uh, they'll be given our contact details. There's also um, I'm going to be a little cagey. Uh, when we started, and of course subsequently, we did reach out to any organization that we thought somebody needing our services would go to. So, But then again, in the Republic of Ireland, there are very strict rules about who can give out information about abortion and how. So currently it has to be done face-to-face and it has to be three options. So I'm not going to um, I'm not going to out anybody, but I will say that we did outreach to family planning clinics, rape crisis centers, women's refuges, women's aid, travelers associations, uh, migrant rights associations, drug and alcohol abuse treatment centers, literally anybody that we could think of. And also, and I have no idea how this is happening, but stickers with our contact details are just popping up all over the place. That's amazing. I think it's pretty fantastic, you know. Um, and uh, you'll also see stickers for uh, the two reputable providers of, of safe but illegal early medical abortion pills. Can we talk about stats and facts? You very kindly sent me a load of information <laughs> over. <laughs> But they're not true representations of how many women are leaving Ireland, the Isle of Man and Northern Ireland to to get abortions. So every year the Department of Health publishes the number of people who gave a foreign address. Well, foreign in quotes, including Northern Ireland, part of the United Kingdom, who give a non-England or Wales address. And they give that number. And that number has been going down for 10 years. Surprisingly, that's exactly the number of years that you've been able to access early medical abortion pills on the Internet. Hmm. Hmm. So we have always said that that number is underrepresented, however, because that's only the number of people who give an Irish address or an Isle of Man address. So it doesn't count the number of people who stay with their sister or their cousin or their auntie or their, you know, there's clearly many, many Irish people living over here. It also doesn't count the number of women who are accessing these pills. And the conservative estimate is 2,000 a year, women in Ireland and Northern Ireland accessing these pills online. It's about 4,000 a year that the Department of Health says. We say those numbers are underrepresented because it doesn't count the numbers who give a friend's or a family member's or a bed and breakfast address. It doesn't count the ones who take safe but illegal early medical abortion pills at home. And also, now that Ireland is a little more... um, cosmopolitan than it used to be. A lot of people living there are from other parts of Europe. So they don't come to England for abortions. They go home. So those numbers are really underrepresented. Now, our numbers, while the numbers of women traveling over, the official numbers have gone down for 10 years, our numbers have gone up. You know, so our first full year of operation, we heard from 89 people, and that was in 2010. And last year, we heard from 1,009. Oh, wow. And we are tiny. We don't have an office. We don't have a landline. Up until three years ago, we didn't have anybody paid to do this work. All of our money comes from private individuals. And last year, we helped 1,009 people. And we haven't had to turn somebody down due to lack of funds on our part since 2012. That's incredible. Well done. And well, thank you. <laughs> well, what's incredible is is the power of rage. <laughs> yeah. So 2012, Ireland killed Savita. 
And then shortly thereafter, we had the case of the pregnant woman who had a brain aneurysm and was brain dead and her whole family. And her whole family wanted her to be let go. And the Irish government, because of the Eighth Amendment, wanted to keep her alive. They did. Didn't the doctor say something like he felt like it was a noble thing to do was to keep her alive? That's what one doctor said. Quite literally use her as an incubator. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think the referendum's going to go? <laughs> Let me get my crystal ball. Um, oh, God, I wish they would. Yeah. So a year ago, I would have said no way. But now, between the Citizens' Assembly and the volume of women who've come forward to talk about their experience of abortion, and there's some brilliant Facebook pages and websites, um, Stories of the Eighth, In Her Shoes, The Exile Project, all these places where women are hosting their experience of travel and what it was like. I think we are starting to win the case in the court of public opinion. The thing is, though, it's really difficult because we get calls all the time from people who tell us, I'm completely pro-life. I'm completely against abortion. I never would have gotten abortion. I never would have supported abortion until until my 14-year-old got pregnant, Mm -hmm. until my husband died, until my husband was put in prison, until I was diagnosed with cancer, until our four-year-old got leukemia, until we both lost our jobs. I was totally against abortion until I needed an abortion. And that's what makes this so tricky, is that nobody knows what they would do until they're in that situation. How can people help? Well, if you want to help with the referendum, the London Irish Abortion Rights Campaign has launched a campaign called Home to Vote, which tells people how they can support the referendum because there's very funny rules about who can donate money to Irish campaigning organizations. But the London Irish Abortion Rights Campaign is the best place because they're spearheading this home to vote initiative to try and get the Irish abroad who are still eligible to vote because they don't have postal voting the way we do here. So that would be something. And of course, the Abortion Support Network runs entirely on donations from individuals. And even if the referendum happens, we're still going to be hearing from the people who fall through the cracks. We're still hearing from the odd person from Northern Ireland who falls through the cracks of the government scheme. So we'll take your money. Where do we find you? www.asn.org.uk. We're there. And then also the British Pregnancy Advisory Service has a campaign to decriminalize abortion in the UK, Mm. as well as the back-off campaign, which is to try and get buffer zones around clinics, which, while you don't have the same sort of issues that I used to see when I did this work in New York, Mm. you don't want them. So nip it in the bud. Mara, thank you so much for all your work and also for coming in and talking to us. Thanks for having me. Hello, we are joined in the studio by Dr. Judy Puddyfoot, who isn't a Beatrix Potter character, but is in fact a TV vet. Hey, Judy. Hello. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for asking me. April is National Pet Month. It is. So it seemed like the right time to get you in and talk about pets. Sounds about right. I know, right? (laughs) I was was tempted to throw you like a um, a left field subject there. It's a talk about fighter jets. Yeah, well, so the time I learned to... No, no, no. 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 Okay. Okay, pets. Yeah. Do you have any pets yourself? I do. I've just rehomed about two months ago a 12-year-old black Labrador called Aww. Jax. Yeah. Hi, Jax. Yeah. Is he listening? She is uh, probably Sorry. listening. It's all right. I do it all the time at work. It's 50-50 chance of getting it right. So. Yeah, I had a cat called Mark who was a girl. You'd think I'd have learned. I swear people do it just to confuse us vets when they plonk their cat 
Chloe on the table and you go, so how is she? He is... Oh. What is the best slash most amusing name you've ever encountered? Ooh, Chairman Meow. I get oh, Chairman Meow good. quite a lot. Mm. Jen's a big fan of the cat puns. Yeah. Was it a cat? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> this is my lizard, yeah. Chairman Meow. We used to have two cats called Perda and Muesli. Uh, as you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do get some good ones. I like the ones like Dave and Steve. Just regular human names. I've got Clarky, who's like, Clarky. he sounds like he plays five-a-side Sunday football. He does, or that he's a bouncer. You've got Peggy and Joan. <laughs> yeah, they are weird. Really weird, actually. Joan is particularly weird. I think she might have agoraphobia. She doesn't go outside. She doesn't like it. <laughs> okay. I got her as a rescue cat. She just won't go outside. Maybe she had like a really traumatic incident outside once. And well, she yeah. had quite a traumatic incident when she went outside with me, but it's Joan's frame of reference of what traumatic is. Yeah. is what happened was a packet of crisps blew past <laughs> well, that her. That could be traumatic. That was too much. If they cheese and onion, that's quite traumatic. Yeah, she was. Last, she, she, she had to go and sleep under a bed for like that's two days. That's the kind of thing that a horse would had to set a horse off. It wouldn't even take a crystal packet for a horse. No. Horse is just the imagination. They're bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Very skittish horses, aren't they? Yeah. Mm, Carrier scared. bags. Too, too much bags, from, yeah. Too much from <laughs> It's the plastic. Like the plastic. Well, actually, mine are both terrified of carrier bags. And then, if you actually get a carrier bag and you leave it, like, and you have, haven't unpacked your shopping, you come back and they both attack it. They're yeah. both attacking it. But then if you pick it up, they're like, oh, no, no, I don't like it. They're so weird. That's rescue cats for you, isn't it? Weird. Is it to do with being a rescue cat, Judy? It, it could be, to be fair, if they have had a bad Or is it me being a terrible owner? No, no, of course not. It, well, maybe they might yeah. be dumped as kittens tied up in a bag. You yeah. don't know. They, you know people yeah, do these horrible things. Can they could remember be. things like that? So can they remember things that happened when they were, like, children, yeah. as it were? <laughs> Before they Catlings. Metamorphosized yeah. into cats, yeah. No, they can, absolutely. Cats and dogs. Any significant event, either positive or bad, can form a lifelong memory in the, in the, the brain. Humans as well, I assume. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just wondered if, if animals had that same kind yeah, of had consciousness, if you see what I mean. Um, yes, I don't think they're probably consciously aware of it yeah. until it happens, until yeah. the trigger is there, the carrier bag. But yes, certainly it does lay a neurological path of memory in their brain, for sure. Oh, poor catlings. How mm. interesting. And that is really interesting. Because I got told that cats, because they're such creatures of routine, so a cat will go and sit in a certain place, and it might not seem logical to the owner, but that's where it went once and got fed. It goes, oh, if I go and sit there, that's where food happens, or that's when food happens. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because that would be a very strong positive emotion, if if they're food-orientated. So they got fed, they enjoyed it, they remembered it. Oh, I'll go back here, I might get the same that I got last time. They're opportunistic, so... So Perda, who is sadly no longer with us, she hasn't been with us for about 13 years, to be fair, but she was great. She used to love sitting really high up. She'd, like, sit on the top of doors and shit. Yeah, it was mental. That's, that's cats, that's typical for cats. They oh, like is to it? survey everything that's going on and mm. from a safe position. Yeah. And look down on us. Well, both physically and metaphorically, unfortunately, yeah. they do, yeah. yeah. They kind of tolerate people. I think I've always thought with cats that... Um, as soon as they can master tin openers, With humans will be obsolete. Yeah, right. yeah. As soon as they get opposable <laughs> yeah. thumbs, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> well, so actually, you know. my cats can break into the cat food. They went through the cardboard box, so I got a metal tub with a lid, and they worked out that if they pushed it off the side when it hit the floor, the lid popped off it. And yeah. then I came home, and they were having a buffet. 
have ever think they'd stolen from they there. were binging and they were purging having, weren't yeah, they they were having the, say, were they the sick best afterwards oh, oh yeah, yeah they threw up everywhere <laughs> afterwards they were having the best time like when they ate half a pound of butter <laughs> and they were having the best time until they weren't yeah. until they digested until yeah. you weren't uh, yes. the tin opener thing so there's a guy who lives up the street from me and I'm confident he doesn't listen to this podcast but when I had Ross and Mark they were very friendly cats and the neighbours all sort of adopted them as well and I saw him walk past my window once and he reached in his pocket and then put something on the ground. And I was like, well, this is weird. He, he went off and I was like, I'll go and check what that was. And he just put like a pile of ham that he just had pocket <laughs> ham and he put some pocket ham on the ground. And I was like, I don't think so. So I put the pocket ham in the bin and then I went away. And when I came back, there was a tin of tuna fish unopened. I don't know what he thought my cats could do or whether he thought I looked hungry. Is that the man that made a wicker doll of you? <laughs> no, he's not the guy who made a wicker man in my front garden. No. We did actually ask for wow. questions <laughs> while we're on a cat... Cat tip. A cat tip. I'm going to ask the question that Sean, at Sean769, wanted to ask Judy, which is, is there any reason why my cat is suddenly obsessed by eating plastic? Well, oh crikey, it's hard to answer without full history, obviously, but... Um, She's here tonight. <laughs> hey, welcome. Um, no, there is, there is an actual thing in, in medicine called um, a condition called PICA, P-I-C-A, PICA, um, and it means eating weird stuff that you wouldn't normally eat. Oh, like um, when uh, pregnant women eat things, it's called that, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or when Dunleavy's like, licks like mines. Yeah, yeah. So, so it could be that it's suffering from PICA, or, um, uh, which could be... From lots of different things. Um, like I say, without history, it's, it's hard to say for sure why it's doing that. But if you're worried, and plastic would be a worry, um, you probably should get it checked out by a vet because there are conditions to do with um, liver, kidneys, brain even, that could cause pica. So if it's, if it's doing it sort of, you know, with determination, then you should probably get that checked out. I wish you could have lost. seen Judy's face there when she said with determination. It was like she was gnawing on the plastic herself. <laughs> Peggy ate a balloon once, and I only know that because she threw it back up again. Oh. And it said, happy birthday, I am five on it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how she didn't suffocate with it on the way down and yeah. how she didn't suffocate throwing it back up again. But, yeah. There is an awesome video, actually, on that well-known um, website. That's tube you, a bit like that. Um, and it, We're not uh, the BBC. Oh, sorry. I worked, not YouTube. The BBC, so I'm not allowed. Right, okay, so YouTube. Um, of a German <laughs> Shepherd puppy um, regurgitating a crap load of basically rainbow-coloured balloons. Really? And like a magician hilarious. pulling like handkerchiefs they're, out of it. They're not inflated. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it is hilarious. It's, it's brilliant. But dangerous for the dog, surely. Yeah, obviously. Don't <laughs> it was on the veterinary guidance. It had done it. It had been brought in. Oh, OK. Induced vomiting. And to watch the video of these balloons coming out as a rainbow, it's just... It's quite amusing. <laughs> Cheers me up on sad days. It's like with that thing when, the, when magicians do it, when they yeah. pull the long yeah. cord The bunting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bunch of flowers. Yeah. You'll be amazed what's come up out of dogs when you make them sick. Uh, the latest one that I had was... Uh, so why do you turn, make them it? sick? <laughs> you, you can make them sick. There's an injection we give them. But why? Because How if they do something they shouldn't uh, have, yeah. uh, something potentially toxic or that's not going to pass through, yeah. if you get it quick enough so it's still in the stomach... You can induce vomiting and they will... This is... I've taken a test. No, I like no, it. No. Um, I thought you meant more like, you know, if you get them in a sweet spot, their back leg goes. I thought if there was another sweet spot, they're just like... <laughs> 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 no, well, there is a sweet spot, but it's in a little vial and you have to draw it up. Oh, okay. That um, sweet. So you give them the, the injection and 
literally from within a few seconds sometimes whatever's in the stomach is hoofed up onto the floor weirdest the thing you found in a dog a nappy a oh. Nappy. entire child's nappy came back up in one piece oh. unbelievable wow <laughs> yeah used just uh, I wanted to ask the question but yeah, yeah. I've gone there sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh wow, that's a conversation. Killer, Pets are gross, aren't they? Yeah. They're great. There's nothing worse than when one of them throws up, and you go, "I'll just go and get a cloth," and you come back and you go, "Where is it gone? <laughs> <laughs> Where is the sick gone? <laughs> I don't want to think too hard about what happened to the sick, except I don't have to clean it up anymore." Yeah. Oh, I'm, but, yeah. I'm quite a deep sleeper, but there is nothing that gets me out of bed quicker than hearing whoop, yeah. whoop in the middle of the night. <laughs> it's like a little cat. alarm system. Yeah. Cats make quite unique noises, though. Peggy mm. coughs like. An old man on woodbine, and Joan makes a noise which is kind of like a knocking table, and I can't, I can't explain how that noise is coming out of her, but like that, and I'm like, oh, she's going to be sick. Oh. Peggy's like, Lily <laughs> <laughs> oh. does that. It's, it's kind horrible. of like the sort of like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's quite interesting seeing yeah. a cat bring a furball up. I've seen a cat bring a furball up. I think yeah. if you've got cats, wow. definitely. Yeah. 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 I don't think I have really. Yeah, and we've always had cats. I don't, wow! I think, yeah. Like Mark Cat was just super vomy. She was just always puking up fur balls, and then yeah. she'd immediately go out and eat more grass. I was like, no, why? Yeah. Well, this is the thing as well. I have one cat that cleans both the cats, mm. so she, yeah, she's basically got two lots of cat fur to throw back up at all times. <laughs> so it's kind of gross. Did you read about that woman who liked to groom her cats, and she would like lick? Her cat. Oh dear! There's a picture of it, possibly on Tinterweb, and um, the cat's face is just like, "Why is this happening to me?" <laughs> so, Judy, can you love your pets too much? Yes, yes, that is clearly an example of it. <laughs> yes, you can. People marry their animals, don't they? In some countries, is that legal? Not here, I don't think. But some countries, it's just weird. Familiar wow. relations. Do animals have like familiar relations? Yes, they do, um, <clears throat> and. Lots of younger uh, animals, like dogs in particular, um, puppies are quite often bought at eight weeks of age and taken away from the mum. But actually, if they were left to it in the wild, puppies would actually stay with their their mum and their dad for probably months, um, if not years. You were saying about your mum's cat. Mm. You she hates mumsy. Hates yeah. mumsy. That's probably because cats are not like that. Cats, there comes a defined time. Yeah, right, care, you're moving they? out now. Yeah, yeah, they're like goodbye. humans. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of me house. I don't <laughs> want to support you anymore. Yeah. Exactly. How long does this summer holidays go on yeah, for? Yeah, where is my empty <laughs> nest? Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Right. Can I ask you about um, dog breeds? Yes. Um, oh, good. And about responsible this. places to get puppies and so, also about your sorry for the pun but pet subject which is breed to breed right yes yeah hashtag breed to breed on twitter is an initiative by the british veterinary association which is our kind of governing body i suppose you'd call it to a, to a degree a representative body of vets in, in britain and they've come up with the hashtag breed to breathe as a response to try and educate and increase awareness of certain breeds of dogs such as french bulldogs english bulldogs and Pekingese to a degree and things like that pugs, um, pugs is a big yeah. one exactly because they've got flat faces um, they're called brachycephalic dogs um, but they're, they're, essentially they've got a flat face so they've been bred to look a certain way because people deem it cute to have a face that's got big eyes and no nose and they I don't see it as cute 
I look at them and I kind of want to cry because I can see the trouble they're having. Some of them have breathing. They can't even pass puppies normally when they're given birth, so we have to intervene and do cesareans on them. And they get all sorts of problems. They've got lots of rolls of skin on their face, so they get an infection under the skin. Their eyes protrude quite a lot, so they get eye ulcers, which is painful, and some can lose their eye and actually lose their sight. Chihuahuas are affected to a degree as well. And they're very, very popular, particularly with celebrities, obviously. So... You know, if you see some celebrity walking down the street with a chihuahua or a French bulldog puppy, well, bang, that's it. The sale of them goes through the roof. And and what we're saying is, we're not saying we hate these dogs. We're not saying we want to ban them and we never want to breed them. That's absolutely not what we're saying. What vets are saying is, could we just breed them so they're less extreme, so they can actually breathe? Because everybody sitting in here, everybody listening to this is sitting there, unless you've got some sort of problem, you're not you know, health condition, you're not thinking about breathing, you're just doing it. But can you imagine if you put a peg on your nose and you had to breathe through a drinking straw your entire life? Just imagine trying to do anything and then do exertion, going out for a run, for a walk. It's almost impossible. So, you know, a lot of the time they've, they've not got enough oxygen to breathe and they pass out. And one of my real bugbears is people who share and like and think it's funny to put videos up of these types of dogs kind of sitting and falling asleep and then waking up again, you know, that, that we, we would describe it, I suppose, as that sort of moment, you know, when you're asleep and you fall off a cliff moment, you wake up. It's like that, those stupid videos where the dogs look like they're trying to fall asleep and then they wake up again. That's not funny. That's actually, they're doing that because they can't breathe. They become what's called hypoxic and they've not got enough oxygen in their brain and they cannot even get a nice night's sleep because as soon as they shut their mouths and try and breathe through tiny, tiny little slits of nostrils, they don't get enough oxygen and they can almost pass out. Um, and it's not, it's not fun. It's quite cruel. Sorry, took a turn, didn't it? Don't be, no, no, don't be sorry. No, it's quite serious. Obviously. So when you say, when you say less intensely bred, what does <clears throat> that mean? Well, there's a couple of elements to it, obviously. Um, some of these dogs are, um, it's quite a small gene pool. So you're breeding from a, a small resource of dogs. So there's a lot of potential inbreeding from that degree like the royal family very very similar but also they're breeding the extremes so the extremely flat faced dogs the extremely bulging eyes the extremely narrow nostrils when you add all of those things together and then you breed two dogs that look like that you're going to get two dogs breeding that then and the offspring are just going to be basically Habsburg yes yeah (laughs) Okay, so what role does things like Crufts and the Kennel Club have in things like that then? Well, um, again, in in my opinion, uh, the Kennel Club do set the breed standard. Now, the breed standard is a template and everybody says, right, okay, so a pug should look like X, Y and Z. So people breed their pugs to look like X, Y and Z. Um, So that, for me, would be the starting point. We need to sort of set a better breed standard so they're not as extreme, they're not as flat-faced. the dogs have been bred so that their skull, so the bony bit of your head, is shrunken. But the soft tissue bits, so all the skin on the outside and actually all the tissue on the inside, has not shrunk. So you're trying to put a pint of soft tissue into a half pint of skull. And what that ha- what happens when you do that is a soft palate, the soft bit at the back of your throat that flaps about when you snore, it falls over your air pipe and you can't breathe. And that's why dogs, these types of dogs, make this snoring noise when they're awake, when they're asleep. It's why they pass out when they're asleep as well. But I think the difficulty is, because I I was looking at having a dog, and I think the difficulty is, when you 
when you want a cat, people, cats just, kittens just materialise from places because people don't have their cats done or for w- w- one reason or another. With puppies, you've only really got two choices. You go to a, a, a place that's been bred or you go to a rescue place and with a rescue dog, you, what you're taking on is, is quite a big commitment because you don't know where it's come from and, and of course, I'm on my own. I, I have a job. I have a full-time job. Mm. I, that's... So to me, the clear line was go and get a puppy, literally go to one of those places. But how I would judge what was a good place and what was a bad place, I have no idea. Okay, so you've got, if you, so you're thinking about uh, when you go to a breeder, you're thinking yeah. about getting a pedigree, obviously, yeah. because not many people deliberately breed cross yeah. mongrels. We get crossbreeds, you've got your labradoodles, your yeah. cashons, your cockapoos. Okay, that's fine. So if you're thinking about a pedigree, you're going to go to a breeder. I mean, I would say the first place to start would be the Kennel Club website who has a short breeder scheme. Right. So those breeders, to it's kind of voluntary to a degree, but they do sign up to certain standards. And also what's really important is there's now a new initiative called the Puppy Pack. The RSPCA had a lot to do with it, um, drawing it up. And it's a, it's a kind of an agreement between you and the breeder that you're going to get a decent puppy um, and if there's any health problems. But it gives you all the information you need before. But also, do you know what? Go and talk to your vet. Before you get your dog, right. we're not here just for when you've got a dog or or you know got a pet and they're sick. We're all about preventative healthcare yeah. as well. Um, that's not just your vaccines and your worming. Obviously, if you're thinking about getting a pet, go and talk to your vet. And presumably, your local vet would know like breeders within the area who were like trusted or, or or whatever yeah depending they'll know their client base yeah exactly obviously. Yeah. so yeah so if they've got breeders on their books obviously that they know are good they can personally recommend yeah. one of course but i think just to get some general advice about like we were saying earlier i'm not even just dogs specifically but what type of pet is appropriate are you getting it for your children what age are they what time have you got you know getting hamsters for kids and then you put them in a cage in the kids room hamsters are nocturnal so they're going to keep your kid up awake right. at night playing and gnawing at the bars and making and eating the curtains in our house once. Yeah, exactly. But then when the kid wants to, when your kid wants to play with them during the day, they want to sleep, and that's why hamsters bite because they don't want to be played with when they want to go to sleep. And seriously, if someone wakes me up, I will bite them. Yeah. Me too. Mm. Me too. So yeah, go and talk to your vet. Right. I'm going to start a new hashtag. If you want a pet, talk to your vet. Oh, yeah, go on. My mate has got a bitey dog. He is about 14 months old and he's really adorable. But when I first turn up, he is incredibly bitey, not just in a playful way. It hurts. He bites me. And they're not too bothered because obviously he doesn't do it to them very often. He does still do it to them. How do I make him stop biting me without sort of overruling them? Okay, so, well, obviously, well, one, I would have a word with your friends and say, look, I don't really like this. The, the dog's doing this. I've um, tried that. Tried that, okay. Get new friends. Um, <laughs> the other thing, you know, what you could do is, um, it's a young, youngish dog still, so yeah, it's yeah. still mouthy, and they kind of do that. You know, we talking about opposable thumbs earlier. They don't have hands and opposable thumbs, so they do kind of um, experience and investigate the world right in their mouth. So they do naturally put things in their mouths. Hands, as you can see now, because I gesticulate quite a lot, they wave about, and so they're excited and they're fun, so they want yeah. to grab hold of them so what you could do is either replace your hands with something the dog can play with like okay. a, a toy or uh-huh. a dog toy or something probably not food because you may because if you've not got very good timing you may just reward the dog for nibbling at your hands so okay. that'll just encourage it so don't don't try food so a dog toy give it a dog toy to play with instead put something else that it can have or you can just literally turn your back and ignore the dog until it stops and when it stops then you can praise it and interact if it starts doing it again turn your back and ignore it the biggest reward for a dog is attention 
good, bad or ugly attention. It doesn't matter. Oh, that's really sad. The good, bad or ugly bit? No, I meant as in if you say... No, no. If a I... dog's jumping up and you go, get down, get down, get down. It just goes, oh, matter. I'm getting attention. Yeah, getting yeah. attention. Exactly. You Isn't that the same with children, though, to be honest? It's, there are a massive... Some of my ex-boyfriends yeah. as well, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> massive comparisons. I always... Between bringing children up do, and dogs. Do you know, my mum reckons that raising uh, sons is like having a dog That's and raising theory, daughters is like having kittens and cats. I don't... I, yeah, the I dog, don't know why. the blokes and dogs thing is a theory because they you just have to wear them out, like get all their energy yeah. out. Well, I don't have kids, and I don't okay. know. Blokes, so I can't do. comment on any of those. I'm afraid. Is that basically? That's basically because men are quite basic creatures. Let's <laughs> not generalise. Men have always got their, f- their, their nose in your groin, <laughs> and, and the cats over there going. I'm just. I'm not interested. I'm just. I'm just going to sit here until you come to me. I think. <laughs> my friend's dog is he's so adorable but literally the minute you're running the house he is there nose in your groin yeah, why do uh, they and do also that? up your bum as well which most dogs I've not known do just Normally keep just your trousers on yeah. Hannah <laughs> why do why do dogs always put their noses in your bits uh, not all dogs do it some dogs do it obviously um, they do it just because well look how they greet each other oh mm. there's a clue do they see us as bigger dogs? Do cats see us as bigger cats? No. No, cats see us as things that they need to exterminate. <laughs> Do you think if cats were big enough, they'd eat us? Well, to be fair, I've got a practice cat. One of, one of our practice cats. Have you got a professional cat as well? <laughs> <laughs> my pretend cat. No, at my practice, we have a couple of cats that live there. And one of them, Ginge, oh God, he would eat anything. Literally anything. So, my beloved Ross cat was my boy for 14 and a bit years from when he was a kitten. I know some people don't like it, but I was his cat mum, and I had Mark and Ross. Mark was girl, Ross was a boy, and he was very dog cat and followed me around, whereas Mark was like, keys, I'm going out. Um, and then when he got to about 13, he was sat on my lap, oh, and I no. was tickling him, and we were having a lovely time, and suddenly his little lipstick came out, and he looked at me all surprised, and I looked at him all surprised, and I thought, he has got a very different eye on this relationship to me. <laughs> Do cats see us as, like, potential mates? No. No. no, no, they don't. No. Did I just hit his sweet spot by accident? I think, I think you might have done. Oh, yeah, God. it sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> Hannah looks horrified. I am. Yeah, I was horrified. But he was. But well. after it happened, it happened a lot, and I wasn't tickling the same bit. Okay. It was weird. You know, you said earlier, can you love your animals too much? I didn't start uh, this. Uh, he started it. I I feel like we've ground to a natural halt here. <laughs> Judy, thank you very much for coming to talk to us. You're very welcome. It was fun. Hello. Hannah and I are on a boat, that's right, a boat in Birmingham with comedian Karen Bailey, who lives on the boat. Hi, Karen. Hello. Also, quick mention, she is sat on by an adorable King Charles Spaniel called Boatman Bertie. Hello, Boatman Bertie. He's wagging his tail. <laughs> Which is great for a podcast, mate. Make an effort. <laughs> Why do you live on a boat? I have always been fascinated with boats. I remember going on a school trip when I was a school kid. and then Good, because it's bad to go on them if you're not a school kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a school trip. Yeah, and after I was released from prison. <laughs> I did look a bit out of place. Um, 
<laughs> and then a friend of mine years ago, she was always talking about a friend who lived on a boat, and I thought, oh, that'd be amazing. But this was way before mobile phones. And I always thought, well, if I live on a boat then, you know, there's nobody be able to get in touch with me. So there's like, I wouldn't be able to have a phone line or anything. And then I was living in Birmingham about six, seven years ago, and I wanted to buy a flat in Birmingham, and they're all really pokey and small. I know the boat's small, but it doesn't feel like that. And then I just thought, why don't I get a boat? And that was it. How difficult was it to buy a boat or to find one that suited you? Bizarrely, I went, my parents, we went and looked at some new new ones that, that you could have built to measure sort of thing. And then my dad decided, why don't we go and have a look at some secondhand ones? And I walked on this boat and uh, I'm going to point, it's no good for a podcast, but I'm going to point, you'll see there, there's a West Bromwich Albion little picture because I'm a mad West Brom fan, God knows why. And that was on the boat from the bloke who owned it and it was a sign yeah this was the first bet I saw really yeah it's called the duck spotter duck spotter yeah how long is it 58 foot and does size matter <laughs> I always want bigger let's put it like that <laughs> <laughs> you've always got you can always manage a bit longer uh, to be honest because you want a bath in it right yeah <laughs> but you can't have them too long because you can't get through the locks oh so some some boats some locks especially if you go up north the locks Oh, I think they're only 60 foot long so if you have a boat much longer you wouldn't be able to get through the locks oh so it would sort of limit where you could travel to yeah yeah. do you do a lot of travelling? not enough not enough I do go out I take it out there's a place I go to which is Alverchurch and you have to go through this really long tunnel the first time I did it it scared the hell out of me because it's an hour in a tunnel Blimey. I know and I thought a murderer was going to jump out at me which is ridiculous because I was in a tunnel that would be really I don't know we've all seen uh, Gene Wilder in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and that tunnel is terrifying well this tunnel is like you literally you approach it and you can see this tiny little dot and if the boat comes the other way you have to get to the other side of the tunnel but the lights are coming towards you you know if you can imagine car lights coming towards you and you think oh my god I've got to move over but the boat will be 20 minutes away <laughs> so how fast does this go? four miles an hour is that top speed that's the speed you're supposed to do oh okay how fast does it go well about 10 miles an hour oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) put it like this i wouldn't be able to have a a water skier behind it (laughs) it'd sink the water sinker there is something intrinsically comical about that i think it might come from that thing that i was saying earlier i was on a boat that that sank when i was a child or was sinking while we were on it and my dad asked someone for help and they just drove past us and they didn't stop and help us so my dad decided to tell him what he thought of him <laughs> which was really loud and really offensive and it takes a really long time for this guy to be out of his shot when he's travelling at like two miles an hour it's just like I think it's the most anybody's ever said the word cunt ever <laughs> like he can still hear you dad he's only four metres away still <laughs> It's oh, like apparently you. now as well, people are getting lock rage. You've heard of, you know, yeah, yeah, because people are coming up to Glocks and people are like cutting in, and it's really kicking off at Locks. So people are getting boat rage on at, at Locks. Look, I mean, I've seen the river with David Essex. It's supposed to be a peaceful life. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, it can be quite aggressive, and especially if you see when I first took this out, where uh, there was a stag party coming the other way. And they were, like, really hammering this boat. And I was like, you're heading towards my home. And you live on here on your own? Yes. How is it handling the boat on your own as a woman on her own? 
It's all right, but I'll be honest, I've never really done locks on my own. Okay. So, although I know how to do locks on my own, it's the one thing that scares me a bit because having Bert and he wants to be with me all the time, I'm scared that he'd go in, he'd fall in the lock because he'd follow me. Because you have to get you have to get out the boat, tie the boat up, do the lock, get on the boat, drive the boat into the lock, get off the boat, do the lock at the gate, get on the boat. <laughs> and it's just off, on, off, on, off, on, and it's it's quite difficult. Yeah. Somebody told me once that traditionally locks were actually considered to be the, a woman's job. Oh yeah, that the man was rode, drove the boat, and that the woman did the lock work. When I picked this boat up, I picked it up with my mum and dad, and they're in their eighties. My dad fell in twice the first day. Oh. I had to jump in and get him out, and then I said to him because he he was on the bank, and I said, "Dad, just stay there. I'll pull pull the boat in." And he went, no, no, I'm fine. Straight in. I jumped in because I thought that's the only way I'm going to get him out. So I got him on the bank. I went, go to the front of the boat and wait for me. And I, I literally walked through the boat soaking wet. My mum was going, what's going on? What's going on? Got to the front, opened up the cover. And all I could see was his head and hands and he'd fallen in again. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, what part of fucking weight did you not understand? <laughs> and it was the day before my birthday and I bought a bottle of champagne to open on my birthday and I just sat there that night and I just necked the whole bottle <laughs> and I was just my dad right he'd only put one change of clothes so I've got my dad stark bollock naked with a flannel over his dick and I'm like going sitting in sitting in my new lounge thinking plain snap but I mean it was just the most surreal experience <laughs> living on a boat is seen as a cheaper alternative than buying a property but is that actually a myth it is a myth yeah because i have to pay mooring fees here and it's which i suppose is equivalent to rent not probably quite as much and then of course with a the boat there's no like equity in it so i mean i've bought this boat um and it's like the fourth bridge you've always got work to do on it you've always got like there's little bits and pieces that i need to do now but it's the lifestyle i've bought into that's why that's why i've got it because I lived in a flat, I lived in a house, and I absolutely love it. If you want to live on a boat, you will love it. What are, what are the best things about living on a boat? The sense of freedom, really. And I know that sounds odd, because we sat here in an eight-foot-wide boat, which a lot of people would go, it's really claustrophobic. But the fact that you can move it if you want to. If I don't like my neighbours, I can literally move. I mean, the sense of community, and I know that sounds a bit naff, but, I mean you guys wanted a cup of tea and got any milk so I just knocked on the boat next door and said give me a glass of milk everybody and they knows did. each other yeah. and they did we are very demanding yeah um and everybody knows each other everybody looks out for each other I mean if I'm away people will look after Bert for me yeah I just love it I just a lot of people have said I'm a lot happier since I've been on a boat yeah are there any downsides emptying the toilet Outside in my house as well, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but you can just flush it, can't you? I don't know, Clarky's cat litter. Oh, oh really? Bad times. Yeah. It can be cold, although I've got some, you can see I've got radiators, I've got central heating, I've and got my log fire, burner. fire on. I know. Well, it's I did put toasting. it on for you because it's like, somebody said it's like the little cottage on the water, which I thought was really cute. So during the winter, which was has been pretty harsh this year, yeah. it's been a lot of snow, Is is that... Does it start to get to the point where it is unbearably cold or no. do you, you just put up with it? It's not too bad. I have to say when it got to that minus three, minus five, when the canal froze, 
which doesn't happen often but it did freeze so you can imagine the metal hull was cold but i've got a little heated throw there and i got the fire on and just put an extra layer on. it wasn't unbearable no no not at all I, th I think as well though you get a lot of people who who move onto boats out of necessity there's a, somebody was telling me there's a marina where they live and they've got what they call divorcee corner yeah. <laughs> which is all these men yeah. that just live on boats <laughs> in the corner of this marina it's just like floating sheds yeah. like they've been going to their man shed yeah. and suddenly they thought I'm going to live on one of those Yeah, but it's not going to be for everyone is it? no, god no I mean, some people think it's a horrendous idea when I first said I was going to do it so many people were like oh, what are you going to do that for? and then there's a lot of people go oh well, I think it's amazing so. Well, I mean, I think it's amazing, but I still don't think it would necessarily be a good fit for me. No. Uh, as in, I did look into it about 10 years ago, and I just thought I am fundamentally too lazy, too dependent on my creature comforts. Because, the, I mean, here you can plug into electricity, yeah. and you can you plug into water here. Yeah, the wa I've got a water tank, and yeah. then there's a hose pipe that you just, it's, you just yeah. Yeah, for me, where I am, I would have had to move. And I was like, that's literally going to be... I'm going to have to get a generator, which would be noisy. But yeah. I'm also going I to couldn't... have to move to fill my water tank up almost every week. And that's yeah, going to be no. my Saturdays forever. I think, yeah, I think if you if you lived on a boat, it's best to have a permanent mooring like this. Because then you just don't have to think about that. Um, and, and how easy is it to get a mooring? It's not too bad. I mean, I know that everybody... There's a bit of a myth, really, because before I got the boat and I went online and uh, I was Googling how to get a mooring and it was like, oh, they're like, gold, you know, they're like you know, hen's teeth, so they're really hard to get. And then I walked down to the, the marina here because I knew... And then I just came along and just I said, oh, no, we've got loads of spaces. So there's a lot of private marinas where you can get moorings quite easily. Because this isn't the Boats and Rivers Trust? No. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Canal and River Trust. Canal and they River. do residential mooring, which you have to bid for, which is a weird system. Like allotments? Yeah, yeah, you have to bid for it. And it's like a closed bid as well, so you don't know how much anybody else has bid for it. Like Scotland? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want a lot of comparisons. <laughs> but there are a lot of private-owned marinas that a lot of liverboards live on. I have to ask, was the duck collection and obsession before you got the boat or has it come with the boat it came all the ducks that you can see i've got loads of ducks on the wall they all came with the boat then everything else all the ducks that i've got um all sort of ran the boat i've got a duck washing up brush there's even a duck dog toy there yep. which bert's not allowed to play with every time somebody sees a duck now they just buy it for me so it has got a, got a bit obsessive yeah yeah mm -hmm. Do you like ducks? I suppose I do now, yeah. Yeah. I sort of they got neighbours. Yeah. Yeah. Can we agree that geese are pricks though? <laughs> oh god, absolutely. Canadian geese as well. I'll oh. tell you what, when they're oh, mating, they're the wasps of the yeah, bird world. They are. they are and they come round here and but sometimes they they can lay eggs on boats and they hiss at you when they go past. Yeah, they're a pen in the eyes. Yeah. So if somebody was thinking that is the life for me, what what tips would you give to someone on how to go about relocating it. their life onto a boat well what i did i came to the wharf and i walked along looking at boats and somebody invited me in for a cup of tea um, most people on boats will i just will just have a chat with you and they love showing off their boat and it's a really i think you have to be a bit eccentric yeah because 
we got actually we got some complaints because we were all having um, barbecues and somebody said oh we called the water gypsies and uh, were saying that you know none of you work ooh at this and we're like there's a guy who used to be an ethicist in the Royal Navy he lives on a boat he used to be we used to have a surgeon that worked at the, the QE he used to do plastic surgery for the people who were injured in Afghanistan there's a guy down there who's got a, like a business as a solicitor as a barrister so it's a real mix of people that live on boats yeah, so I would say go along to a marina, ask, go along and see if you can find and chat to somebody who lives on a boat. Then I just started to look at boats. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Bert! Yes! <laughs> He's been waiting. He's been waiting. Go and sort out. <laughs> that, is, that is my dog going to scare off somebody walking past the boat. Yeah, he, he likes to be Billy Big Bollocks when people walk past <laughs> um, yeah so that's it go along and then then go on there's a website called apollo duck like there's loads of websites that sell boats and just have a move have a mood and have a look just go yeah. for it really just go for it absolutely and you can have some creature comforts i noticed i know you have a washing machine i had a washing machine i used to have a tumble dryer but that broke so I'm taking that off tv got a um, shower that's bigger than mine i live in a house massive shower i was gonna fi- i have got room to put a bath in the only thing is you can't overload the electric so sometimes I forget and I put the washing machine on then I start to cook a meal and then it, it shorts the electric so yeah you have to you can't overload it do you think you could go back to living with us landlubbers you know what I've thought about that and I, I don't I can't imagine myself back on land the only thing every now and again I have a dream that on the boat I find this secret room that's not there and then I wake up and think Oh, brilliant! I've got some extra space. <laughs> and then Just I go crushing oh, disappointment. Yeah. yeah, but I'm always I'm constantly like, like re because you can see I'm quite cluttered. I've got loads of books and notes, and and it's quite hard. You have to be ruthless. You have to kind of just throw stuff out and not get attached to personal things. That's that's quite hard. But to be fair, you could say that if you had to move into a one-bedroom flat, really, at mm. the moment, which is what a lot of people are having yeah. to do, aren't they? Yeah, I guess so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's about space, isn't it? I find with space, the more space I have... I just put more shit in it. I just put more yeah. crap in it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, and my spare bedroom is just full of stuff that yeah. I don't even want any of it. I just haven't got round yeah. to doing anything. The other, other thing is as well, though, when I'm cleaning the boat, which is quite good, is because I work from one end to the other. But then I move all the shit up. Like, as you've, if you've seen my bedroom, right? So I've moved all the shit up. And then you went, oh, can we have a look in your bedroom? And I'm thinking, oh, God, it looks right tipping there. Because I haven't got that far yet. But that's, yeah. Then so. do you just move it all the way back down the yeah. other end? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just goes off the end of the boat. Oh, OK. <laughs> Fair enough. Pass it down to the boat along. Yeah. Thank you very much for talking to us and for allowing us on your boat. Well, thank you for coming. It's been lovely. It has been lovely. It's been very cosy. Oh, he's back. He's coming back for a little... No. You come back, Bert. You come back to say hello. Say goodbye. Goodbye, I mean. Have you sorted them out? They're dead now. <laughs> <laughs> There's two corpses on the wharf. <laughs>Welcome to Jenny Off The Blocks, that time of the week where we get so excited about women's sport, we just allow a 10 hour time difference and watch it anyway. 
That's right. We are in the thick of the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne, where the home nations are having a lovely time. England are sitting in second place on the medal table, with Wales fourth and Scotland in fifth, and Northern Ireland in 14th. There's a lot to chat about here, so straight up, I'm not covering everything, because I'd be here all day, so if I don't cover what you wanted to hear about, I am sorry. I'm not. What about squash? Actually, someone did win, I believe, the first medal for Wales in squash in 20 years, so well done. Well done, guys. Anyway... (laughs) Cycling is, as you would expect, going pretty well for the home nations, with Wales's Eleanor Barker picking up two golds in the 500-metre time trial and the 25-kilometre points race. And Katie Archibald claimed silvers for Scotland for both of those as well. And Nia Evans also took two bronzes and a silver. And Sophie Thornhill took golds for England in paracycling sprint and time trials. Interestingly, you would normally expect us to do pretty well in the team events, but guys, our talents are spread across the host nations in cycling, so we did quite well in the team events as GB, and we do less well individually, so make of that what you will, slash please never leave us. Siobhan Marie O'Connor took a gold medal in the 200 metre individual medley in swimming, winning by a country mile to retain her title. Sarah Vasey took gold in the 50 metre breaststroke for England on her Commonwealth Games debut and teammate Alice Ty took gold in the S9 100 metre backstroke. And in hockey, England women are doing pretty well. They're at the top of Pool A with another match to play in the round-robin stage. Uh, And hopefully we'll be through to the semi-finals on Thursday. It looks a little bit less hopeful for Wales in fourth place and Scotland in third place of Pool B because they have New Zealand and Australia above them who I reckon look pretty tasty with a hockey stick and would be my bets for the semi-finals. Anyway, athletics is also going on I was going to say it's going well because when I wrote this this morning Asha Phillip was through to the 100 metre final but she actually finished in fourth place so that's a shame but still to come uh, Dina Asher Smith who is my favourite she's my new favourite in the track and field after giving an interview in which she said I'm a feminist say that and some people look at you in a weird way which I don't really understand damn straight Dina um, talk to guys within the sport and they're just excited to watch women race but the wider media spend most of their time looking at men I think that is a big part of it. And she's quite right. She's competing in the 200 metres this week. and Fingers crossed for a medal for her come Thursday. Also still to come. Having beaten Wales, England's netball team are now guaranteed a place in the semi-finals and they're due to play New Zealand in the early hours of Wednesday morning and hopefully beat them. As ever, I can't time travel, so you'll have to look that result up to see whether or not they're able to swerve Australia in the semi-finals. And Rugby Sevens hasn't even started yet, so that will be underway on April the 13th. Some other shout-outs outside of the Commonwealth Games. Well done to Naomi Brodie, who proves there's more to British tennis than Andy Murray and Joe Conter. She's picked up her first ever WTA title on Sunday. Uh, That was with Sara Saribes Tormo of Spain, and they were victorious in the women's doubles at the Monterey Open. There's uh, there's women's football going on as well. First up, a disappointing result for England's women on Friday. Less so for Wales. No offence, Wales. Uh, they drew 0-0 in the World Cup qualifiers. Further disappointment for Scotland, who were beaten 1-0 by Switzerland. And I'm going to say more than a bit of mild discomfort for Northern Ireland, who were beaten 7-0 
by Netherlands. But fair play, Netherlands were, after all, the winners of last year's Euros. So they're actually quite good. Um, The Republic of Ireland had a better day at the office, beating Slovakia 2-1. But some more good news. Two of the highest ever crowds attended this round of qualifiers, with Northern Ireland versus the Netherlands attracting over 30,000 and England v Wales drawing a crowd of more than 25,000. There's more qualifiers this week, so if you're listening on Wednesday, do check out how the lads got on yesterday. That's all for this week. I'm going to go and lie down in a darkened room and try not to think too much about all the sports I missed. Soz Gymnastics, we love you too. Tweet me if you want. I'm on at Inspiragen, and I will be back next week. Welcome to Dunleavy Does Disney. Dunleavy, what Disney did you did this week? This week I watched Alice in Wonderland, which is 1951. I know it's been ages since we've done a film that's so old. That is well old. Yeah. Apparently it was critically panned at the time and has since gained a huge fan base and is now apparently considered a Disney classic. It's based on Lewis Carroll's Alice stories and according to purists it's Actually, a pretty faithful adaptation. But it gained real prominence in the 1960s when the counterculture scene adopted it as a head film, the apogee of which is the Jefferson Airplane song, White Rabbit. It's a great song. It is. Now, I'm not entirely sure I've actually seen this film all the way through before this. I'd seen bits of it. Although, you remember when Sarah was on Dunleavy Does Disney last year and she reminded us that there used to be the Saturday afternoon and Sunday afternoon show that just showed clips of Disney Oh yeah, that I had completely forgotten existed. I'm guessing that's what I'd seen rather than the whole film because bits of it I thought I've never seen this before in my life. Other bits seem really familiar to me. Have you guys seen it? I have seen it, yes. And I think what you were saying about it being classed as a Disney classic now is definitely the case. I think when a lot of people think of Alice, it's that animation of Alice yes. and mm. the White Rabbit and the Queen of Hearts and stuff that they think of. I think I've seen bits of it. I was once in a pro- I was once in a production of Alice in Wonderland at university, which was uh, directed by Carrie Ad Lloyd and Sarah Pascoe. There you go, fun fact for you. I played a card. I didn't do a lot. <laughs> Did you like it? Um, before we get to the film, I think we should talk a bit about Alice in Wonderland in general because I feel I should declare an interest in in this one and that is that actually even as a small child Alice and her ongoing adventures didn't actually really do it for me I fucking loved them and have read and reread Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass Through the Looking Glass is my favourite that's good because in in 2015 it was the 150th anniversary of the publication of the first Alice book And I saw loads of women writing about how much they loved it and how they identified with Alice in their childhood. And I've got to say, that wasn't me. I've always found it a bit crap, to be honest. Um, A bit crap. It's a bit of a book report of a novel. It's this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And then in the worst thing imaginable happens at the end. It turns out it was a dream and she wakes up. I'm not sure Alice particularly learns anything or even has a particularly fun time. I don't think she's supposed to be having a fun time. I mean, I'm sure I'm in the minority, but I'm I'm going to be honest. I would rather listen to White Rabbit than read Alice in Wonderland. It, I don't know if I ever... I don't think I ever read it, but I think I found like the concept of it all just a bit like creepy. 
Well, you see, I, I mean, I've got to say this film was on a losing wicket before I even started, but then we do have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is Lewis Carroll himself, Charles Dodgson. Lewis, take off the elephant costume and show yourself. Yeah. But who, not in that way to children. Who, well, that's it. I don't think anyone can, can deny, and believe me, his apologists have tried, that he had what can only be described as an unhealthy interest in young girls. Mm-hmm. I, d- I genuinely don't know anything about this, to be honest. So, um, They have uncovered a lot of photographs that he took of young girls naked. Now, it's a bit awkward. you will find a lot of people saying, oh, he was... It was research. No, there's quite a lot of... Show me qu- the book, Pete. <laughs> yeah, there's quite a lot of stuff that says, oh, he was, you know, he was clearly interested, but he never acted on it, as if that's in any way either a acceptable or b actually provable um well, and i have seen a couple of pictures that's some evidence that i well yeah. photography was a relatively new art form at that point so i i genuinely think that you it was a different time no that argument it was a different time doesn't sort of i mean to be honest you really want to take those photos is what i was trying to say right it's, okay because it's I really did wonder ex- where you're going it's really it. expensive it's really difficult yeah. you didn't waste like the setup of taking a photograph unless you really wanted to take it. Yeah. So I don't think it's an excuse of, oh, I, I, he was camera happy and he was taking a picture of everything because he just got a camera. He just got a new iPhone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm on Instagram. <laughs> Stay still, Alice. I'm taking a, he's just taking a picture of all those naked kids he regularly comes into and, contact And I've seen with. a lot of people, Gosh. right, because I did a little bit of Googling, let's call it Googling, not research, on this. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people saying, Oh, he's not as bad as people are now, which, of course, you know, that's just fine then, as long as he wasn't as bad as footballers are now. There is no water held in that argument at all. He only touched one kid, not six. Fuck it. It's still, you know, no. No! Can I do a tiny bit of defence of the story? Yeah, feel free. I, again, like you, I have reservations about Lewis Carroll because I've done a bit of Googling and reading around it because he's an interesting character. Uh, he was very much an eccentric, and I think he was a wrongan. But obviously, there's no, there's in the, you know, there's no actual evidence. He never went down for it or anything. But the evidence is there. But the story's great, and his way with language is really beautiful. And the stuff that's made it into popular culture, so that Jefferson Airplane wrote that song, and also just you know, like the Jabberwocky and stuff. And I think it's definitely one of the they are definitely books that I read as a kid that have stayed with me that I remember really, really vividly. And he painted very interesting characters that have definitely stuck with me. So I could see why it would make a good cartoon is what I'm saying. They are very broad characters. There's quite a lot of broad strokes in there that would make for cartoonish They're quite caricaturish, aren't they? Mm, yeah. yeah. Please carry on. Yeah, so let's talk about this film. It's not great. Walt Disney himself said that he thought that the film had failed because there was no warmth in Alice's character. And I've got to say, this is another one of those very rare occasions where I actually agree with him. Although I go a bit further and say that this entire film lacks warmth. It's basically Alice encountering a series of twats and then dropping off when they don't give her what she wants. Yeah, that's the book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it should be called Alice's Adventures on Twitter, really, (laughs) to be honest. I mean, Alice herself is not that likeable. Right at the outset, we learn that Alice thinks that books should be all pictures and no words. So I pretty much hate her immediately. 
She does also outline her idea that if she ran the world, everything would be nonsense, nothing would be what people said it was, and up would be down. So pretty much 2018, really. She meets a lot of familiar faces, the White Rabbit, the Mad Hatter, the Red Queen, and they are all horrible or irritating or both. And then she runs, decides to run off back home and discovers that she's actually been asleep the whole time and wakes up. The end. I don't really know what else to say. It, you know... Does she learn anything, Hannah? She learns nothing. The songs are horrible. The animation is okay. It's not really funny. The best thing I can say about this film is it contains a really useful piece of advice. I think it comes from the March Hare, which is that they've, uh, a piece of advice for storytelling that says, start at the beginning... And then when you get to the end, stop, which is something that Peter Jackson could have learned a lot from, <laughs> I think. Other than that, it, I don't think it contains any particular interest or worth to me at all. I could see maybe why people would enjoy it, but it does it does absolutely nothing for me. Damning. Yeah. Very damning. I went on an Alice in, Alice in Wonderland fairground ride once and it really scared me. Yeah, I'm already a bit scared. Yeah, because it was kind of really gentle and everything, and then suddenly you got thrust into this tunnel, a bit like, you know, Willy Wonka mm. and the, the 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 ride and the LSD sort of trippiness of that, and it freaked me out a bit, but I was a wuss. I just remembered the weirdest, the weird, one of the weirdest nights of my life. My friends took me for, I think it was like my 27th or 28th birthday or something like that, um, and two of my friends both of whom were vegetarians. I've no idea why they chose this place. Uh, Organised like a meal for me at a, at a steakhouse in Piccadilly. Um, I can't remember what the fuck it was called, but it was magic themed. <laughs> and we went in and there were loads of pictures of Sherry Blair on the walls. <laughs> they were all like the same picture of Sherry Blair, but in different sizes. Anyway... We got sat at, which was weird enough, we got sat at this, like, this big round table and we were sitting there for a while and then someone was like, is this moving? And basically we were, like, sat on a lazy Susan that was, like, going round and round. And then when I went to the toilet, I walked in, opened the door and there was, like, a sort of papier-mâché figurine of Alice in Wonderland like emerging from the wall and when I opened it I actually screamed because I thought a dwarf was in the toilet and then in the men's toilets apparently the urinals were like shaped like the open mouths of little boys so you're basically like pissing into the mouths of it's a really weird place. I think it's called Ab- Abracadabra. I'd be interested to know if it still exists. Crikey. Sorry. There you go. I think the nonsense thing of Alice in Wonderland as well is the fact that it is supposed to be <coughs> her in a dream state. Mm. So everything's recognisable. Like she does see the rabbit and then she drifts into this imaginary place of her dreams. And so, you know, the roses, the flowers can talk and everything has sort of grounded in fact and then she wakes up and Bobby Ewing's in the shower, and it's all fine. I never liked any of that shit, that kind of, like... What, Bellas? I mean, I'm too young to remember that, to be fair, but, like, but no, like, the kind of, like, mind-bending, like, 
oh yeah man like it's all about like I just I just, I just remember finding it like creepy I have absolutely no objection to bit of mind bending bit of mind bending but it does I think with a lot of films um, and it's a bit like what people say about the magic roundabout it's just what people decide to perceive as a uh, I mean the the, the idea is that, that people have decided because Dod- Dodson reckons that he fell asleep and had this dream, and that's why he told the girls the story, and they persuaded it, uh, people persuaded him to write it down. So people, I mean, traditionally, people have said, "Oh, it's because he was off his face on laudanum," but apparently, there's no evidence for that either. Yeah, it's very much one of those things that happened with counterculture, where people sort of seen things in it because you know he's smoking a the caterpillar smoking a. The hooker pipe and, and he's eating a, and she eats mushrooms yeah and yeah she goes down a tunnel yeah yeah I can kind of I can see where they get it from yeah actually it, did you say it was 1951 1951 yeah so that is that pre-Wormwood era I'm just thinking maybe like someone was experimenting oh, and yeah, on I mean, Disney uh, yeah and the LSD thing was just sort of getting oh no, so that's kind of LSD thing kicked in sort of in the late 50s early right, okay. 60s didn't it so but no but there were things that would make you I mean like laudanum would make you chip your tits off if you took enough of it there was all sorts of stuff I mean cocaine and heroin they used to write you on prescription in fact when cocaine I can't co- even get an appointment these when days. cocaine was cocaine used to be really commonly used just as an upper oh, as a keep you didn't your send weight. it to like people in the in the trenches and yeah. stuff well and then when they decided to try and get everyone off off cocaine because they realised it was really addictive and really bad for you that's when they started prescribing heroin yeah a bit moorish but what score are we going to give Alice I am going to give it two two what two mm-hmm. out of five that was a noise of ambivalence Mickey looks sad sorry no I... no it's it's a much loved book the stuff that you loved in childhood you can often rewatch and go no it doesn't do it for me anymore and I'm mm. sure I'd feel the same way about it but it was very much loved in my childhood. I'm glad we're not doing Robin Hood's Prince of Thieves because... Because it's not a Disney cartoon? Yeah, well, just because, you know, be devastated when he hated that, Hannah. It'd be awful. Cancel Christmas. You can't hate it because of Rickman. Rickman, like, you know... Locksley. That's all from us at the Standard Issue podcast. I'm sitting in my bedroom uh, because it is the most fabricy, you know, insulated area of the flat. I've got one headphone on my ears, like a sort of Craig David kind of character. Anyway, as I said, that's all from us this week. Uh, Join us next week. Uh, We've got loads of excellent things for you as ever. We have got Helen Sadler from the very brilliant Flix Watcher podcast, who is on our podcast exchange. We've got Maria Harris from Tall Bird Records, who is talking about Record Store Day. And we have got journalist Kate Carter on why she loves running ahead of the London Marathon on April 22nd. We don't have a Sunday Chops for you this week, I'm afraid, because we are in Ireland doing standard issue things. So keep your ears peeled for that. You can come and see us in the real world. We have gigs every freaking month and we've got a few more coming up over the summer as well, which we have yet to announce. We are at the Leicester Square Theatre in London on April the 29th. We've got an absolutely fantastic lineup for you. We have got writer Lucy Mangan, Shazia Mirza, Rachel Paris and 
Ruby freaking wax. Yeah, that's right. There are a few tickets left for our gig at the Lowry on May the 20th with Julie Hesmanhaug and Lou Conran, and that is going to be hosted by our Hannah and Mickey. But guys, we've just announced another gig in the north. I know, I know. June the 26th, Waterside Theatre Sale. Us, Sean Gibson, Shirley Houston off of that Coronation Street. Be there or be slightly worse off than you would otherwise have been. I love Coronation Street. And when I was in New York the other week, um, I was in a bar in Brooklyn and my mate, Uncle Becky, brought this woman over and she said, Jen, you've got to talk to this woman. I can't remember her name. I'm sorry, woman in a bar in Brooklyn. She said, you've got to talk to this woman. She's a huge fan of Coronation Street. I embraced her because I had had a few drinks and she looked at me, shrugged her shoulders and said, Jen, Pat Phelan, and shook her head, sadly. Anyone who watches Coronation Street will understand why that's hilarious. Anyone who doesn't will be very confused. You can find information about all of our gigs at www.sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue. And as I said, we have got more announcements to make. So it's always worth keeping a little eye on that or indeed keeping a little eye on our Twitter feed, which is at standard issue UK or on our Facebook page or indeed on Instagram. If you want to, you can follow me, I'm at Inspiragen or Hannah at That Dunleavy or Mickey at Mixta Noonan um, because we talk about things as well. I mean, a lot of the time I just mock pundits on Sky Sports but, you know, sometimes they're more interesting than that. Um, finally, it's really, really helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes because it, you know, as long as you say something nice about us, if you say something shit about us, that's not helpful, so please do refrain. Uh, but, I mean, you'd be lying anyway, and you'd be very honest if you gave us five stars, surely. So if you want to do that, that would be awesome. We would love you forever. Or you can tell a friend that you like us, just, you know, the old-fashioned way, just tell them that you think we're good and that you advise them to listen to us. Thanks. Anyway, I have, as ever, wanged on for way too long, so all that remains for me to say is, indeed, stay frosty.